0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Restaurants across the country are in need of support as a result of the devastating effects COVID-19 is having on this industry. If we don't help now, some of our favorite community gathering spaces may not be there when this crisis is over. Restaurant Opportunities Center United has compiled a list of local resources supporting the restaurant industry from cities and states across the country. From North Carolina's Triangle Area Restaurant Workers Resources to Nebraska's COVID-19 Response Fund, Minnesota's Immigrant Family Fund, Georgia's Giving Kitchen, and many, many more, we can all find a cause to support. Visit rockunited.org relief. That's ROC United. .org slash relief to find a list of national, state, and local resources.
2: Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world. It used to be about a million listens a month. The show used to be live coming from the Heritage Radio Network studio inside Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Today is April 28th, 2020, and we are recording this show on Zencaster because we are in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, and we are about six or seven weeks uh, into staying at home, depending on which part of the world you are in. In New York City, we are coming into week seven. If you've been a faithful listener of Tech Bites, episodes 200 and onward have all been covering topics and stories about things happening in the food tech world in response to the pandemic. There's been a lot of really amazing stories of people coming together using technology to help each other and move our food lives forward. Today, we have a great story. It is about Harvey.farm, which is a online digital platform to connect farmers with consumers. And the farm direct-to-consumer is something that we've been talking about since the beginning of Tech Bytes back in 2015. Um, And it has always been a fascinating story of farmers being focused on farming products and perhaps not spending time on tech and having an IT person and having a uh, resource to be able to develop a commercial online platform So there have been a number of people and a number of companies who have tried to solve this problem to bring farm-fresh products direct to people in the same easy click-click digital retail way that we have become so used to shopping. And some are successful and some have not been successful. But Simon Huntley, who is the founder and CEO of Harvey, had an interesting idea from Pittsburgh and started his company a few years ago. Um, Simon, why don't you tell us about... What the initial idea was for Harvey?
3: Yeah, the initial idea. It's funny because I I, I think I've really been doing the same thing for almost twenty years of, of different kinds of um, online platforms for selling farm goods. I, I think I, the first time I did it was my maybe sophomore year of college for a for a class project. And so you know, I've done three or four different iterations and, and started this business in two thousand six. Uh, sort of uh, helping farms with websites and online sales, and then Harvey came along in about uh, 2016 to, like you said, to to make that interaction between farms and consumers even more customer friendly. As like the technology was really changing over the first ten years I was in business, and this is this is really that next iteration. Um, and I also grew up on a farm in southwestern Pennsylvania too, so I so I have have that background. I've worked on a farm. Uh, after college as well, so so I've sort of seen all parts of it.
2: Well, one of the initial uh, similarities between you know farms and other food and restaurants businesses making the leap from you know real life to digital sales is that you know farmers, much like you know chefs and food makers and restaurant people, you're really focused on the product and making and growing a great product great produce great v- fruits and vegetables is really a full-time job and it's a specialized job and people are really you know focusing 24 hours a day on this and you know there's a reason why technology and IT and you know online commerce and e-commerce are separate jobs and separate industries because they are separate jobs and in separate industries so it's been a fascinating um look over the past few years at how Digital sales and e-commerce have developed so rapidly, um, and people have been, you know, maybe surprised that, you know, food suppliers have not been able to meet the demands of consumers. But by the same token, it's like that's not their job. And most farms and restaurant businesses don't have the resources to be hiring IT departments and e-commerce things. So that's why these platforms have become so important. When you first started um, in 2016, Simon, was it a a tough convincing farmers to get on an online platform? Did it make sense to them?
3: (laughs) Well, I've been busy doing it for 10 years previous to that as well. So I I think that we'll be a farm, like we have Robin Calvey, who's going to be talking on the program today. So I think you have farms that are early adopters and I think Robin is definitely an example of an early adopter who's willing to adopt technology. So in that way, I don't think it's that much different than any other industry. I mean, when, you, when you're when you thinking about technology in general, you think about, you know, you have your early adopters and then, then you have your mid adopters and late adopters and things like that. So um, I think the same is true in the farming world. And, and I think we'll be talking about this as it goes along, but especially in this, in this current, the COVID-19 crisis and everything, Obviously, these farms that are the early adopters are the ones that are here to uh, to feed people at this time. Um, so, it's certainly, it's paying off for for those early adopters.
2: So, Robin Calvary is a farmer from Wisconsin. Her farm is Park Ridge Organics. Robin, when was your first foray online with your with your farm? What what was the impetus and and the opportunity
4: that first brought you online? Uh, so, we did start using. Simon mentioned that his his business started prior to Harvey with um, the previous platform uh, that we were using. So we were taking um, signups for our CSA program via online, but let's be honest, it wasn't real sophisticated. It was basically just a, a you know, a way to track basically database. So it worked for what we needed, but what we started to see. And a lot of the countries saw in the CSA model, community supported agriculture, is that there was a decline in um, retention of members. There was just sort of this lull that everybody was seeing. What and time of
2: year? What what year was this? Would you?
4: I'm, I want to. I feel like that was, and Simon can probably speak to it because I think it's when he was really starting to do some of his research on why Why it was declining. But I want to say like around 2016 is probably when we start to sort of see it happening. So people would be really enthusiastic and want
2: to participate in a CSA and would come and sign up and then would their enthusiasm what, would peter out and then they would disappear?
4: Um, kind of. And actually I think it was more that they, they weren't even coming to the table to be interested in it because organic or... Um, just food was becoming more available. So farmers markets there's been, you know, more and more of them were were popping up all over the place. You can get pretty much organic food at any grocery store now. So there was just a, you know, a, maybe a little bit more of the mainstream food system was providing what people felt was their comfort level at the time of food. Um but I think what was forgotten is that local food and that's what the CSA model is, is it's extremely valuable. And so what we're seeing, um, that that decline was kind of happening. So we saw that happening. Our our particular farm um, was, it was a very small decline, but it was enough to scare me that I knew that like something had to change. And so when we surveyed our members and found out like, okay, you liked our share, you liked our vegetables, but what was it that, why aren't you signing up again for the next year? And their response was often that it was too much food. Um, You know, they were getting too many items that they weren't sure what to do with or how to use them. They were intimidated in the kitchen by what the farm was growing. And so this was such an easy problem to find a remedy to. (laughs) You can... Too much food, that's
2: not often a complaint that you hear from a consumer.
4: (laughs) Exactly, right. And then we're looking at our numbers, like from the business and seeing like, wow, we're We added up a retail value of a share versus if they would have bought those items at our farmer's market stand. Um, It was sometimes 30, 40 percent more produce that we were giving our members. And, And this comes because like this whole CSA model, when it was developed over time and it started in the 80s, was sort of this if we're going you're we're going to grow it it's bountiful we're going to give it to our members these are our shareholders these are the people that are investing in our farm up front for the season so it really did it's not you know it's it's it was what it was sort of built on that if it, if the kale is good you're going to get a box of kale you know it's it was <laughs> it was it came in a time when like that was exciting to people but it's just changed i mean that's 30 years of of CSA that has, it's changed and people don't want a bunch of stuff. They're not going to use. And there is, you know, the local, the, or just restaurant scene in general is so amazing. You can go out to eat and find delicious food that was sourced locally. So people wanted less, less their busier lives. They wanted less and less. And then on top of that, they wanted more choice of what they were getting. So Harvey was, I was pretty, I had gotten the initial email via Simon or one of his staff and I, I think I remember, like, oh, archive that, put, you know, whatever. I'm just going to get rid of that email because there's no way I'm ever doing a customized share. That's crazy. And then um, somebody on his staff, I can't remember who it was, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I called to ask a question about something unrelated, um, something regarding the previous platform. And they said, well, you do know much about the Harvey platform, and they sort of like dumbed it down to me and explained it, and that was it. It was like October, and I said, "Yep, we're gonna do this. We're gonna we're gonna sign up, uh, start using that platform for the next season." So, twenty eighteen was the first year that we used the Harvey platform, and we increased our members that year. Sold out. We increased our member number for twenty nineteen. We sold out, and now we just increased our number for twenty twenty, um, and we also sold out. So. Um, It's interesting that the CSA model is back, and it's stronger than ever because of it being a direct-to-consumer, a security for people. There's a relationship with the farm, and it's really amazing to me that it's... I'm I'm glad it's back. I'm glad that people are understanding the importance of it.
2: Simon, was there something technological that happened in 2016, or do you think it was just... Everybody coming together around a change in, you know, consumer habits of what they're doing digitally, a change in people's point of view about um, wanting organic and farm fresh products to Robin's point about just sort of the evolution in the general, you know, in the general marketplace from restaurants to stores and things like that was there. Do you think that you had something, uh, that's really specific to Harvey that really drove it or was it a perfect storm of things that were coming together and you had a good understanding and a good product. So you were poised to, to grow.
3: Well, I think the story for me starts much before that in, um, in 2005 and 2006, I helped a farm start a CSA program in Colorado. And when we did that, that was like the, the first, one of the first waves of CSA programs in, in the United States, at least and we would sign like we signed up 100 100 members in like a couple weeks. And we were we got a TV. We got like the, the TV crew to come out to the farm. And and people were really excited about it at that time. And, and I, when did you start, Robin?
4: Start farming in general.
3: Oh, yeah. And your CSA. Uh,
4: 2009 is the la is the first. Uh, <laughs> it's the first year I have a record of it.
3: <laughs> OK. So 2009. 2009- it might have been a year
4: before. So it
3: would have been like, yeah, so I would say between like the early 2000s up to like maybe 2012, 2013, it just seemed very easy to get CSA members. And what, what I was really excited about in the CSA model at, is that it seemed like a way that a farmer could build a sustainable business. And part of my history is I grew up on a farm where my parents didn't work on the farm. They, they worked off farm jobs. So I was really interested and I'm still really interested in this is how do we get full-time farmers working on their farm? Because I believe that is how, you know, the, if we really want to take care of farms, take care of the earth, take care of our our, our customers, that, that it needs to be a full-time job. And so I really saw CSA programs as a way to do that. Uh, but I started to see a decline in this probably around maybe 2014, 2015, maybe I started to see that in the data and I had a business that was completely built around the CSA model. So I thought, And if I don't figure this out, I'm not going to have a business either. And so I had the opportunity to spend six months to a year just on customer research, focus groups, surveys, um, just talking one-on-one with with CSA members and trying to understand why they weren't joining. And so one of the things that I saw, which which Robin sort of is pointing to, is, is this idea of a customized box. That, that was the number one thing keeping people out of it was that if they don't like beets or lettuce or I'm sure everyone in the audience here who's, who's had a CSA share is thinking, oh, yeah, like that time I got a box full of kale. Right. That's like the the old uh, you know complaint about CSA programs. And so one of the main things that initial things that Harvey tried to solve is how would we give a customized box to every member? Um, in in a larger program like like Robbins and 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 do it in an efficient way both for the customer and the farmer.
2: So are those points still relevant today in the pandemic of you know April twenty twenty? Um, <laughs> I mean, and I ask it in a very very blunt way um, because are people who are now are are farmers who are now coming onto the site and consumers who are now coming onto the site are they motivated by the same CSA paradigm, or are they motivated by a very different real um, food chain scenario that we're living right now, which is kind of sets up to be perfect for a system like Harvey? Are people worried about getting too much kale? Do they just want the best things delivered to them because they can't go out because the you know grocery stores are not you know filled in the same way? Are farmers just now wanting to come onto the site because? You know the traditional supply chains are 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 completely you know gone or out of whack or, or different. Do, you, do those learnings from 20, from 2006 and 2014 are they driving your business today, or is it a completely new scenario?
3: Well, I'd be interested in what Robin has to say to that. I think that you know, I would think of this in different ways. I think one thing that's happening is that the whole farming business is just coming online right now, where a lot of it wasn't. So I think that's one thing that's certainly driving the growth in our business. So so when you Um, say
2: right now, do you mean generally at this point in time, because we see the uptick in um, people moving their businesses online? Or when you say right now, do you mean specifically, you know, the pandemic point in time?
3: Well, the pandemic has certainly forced that. And I think, Robin, I, I believe you've had some farmer's markets that are shut down. So that would be one thing. It was like, if a farmer's market is shut down, then we need to find other ways to move it. Or it's like a pre-order situation. Is that what's happening with you, Robin?
4: Yeah. And I, I definitely think the the current situation, the pandemic, is causing um, a lot of farms to have to adapt really quickly. It's It's been... Um, on numerous different calls that I've been on with other farms, it's what we're talking about. What are you using for your online store platform? Um, entire Farmers Market, the the largest Farmers Market in Wisconsin, is in Dane County, Madison, and they adopted a whole online platform um, to use to, um, you know, bring all the farms' products to one friend, shopper-friendly place online for me- for customers to go to. Do all your farmers market shopping online, pick it up at a huge convention center in Madison. So from huge farmers markets down to our little store, we have an on we have an on-farm store that's always just been a self-serve little farm stand, so to speak. We had to put it online. Something I never thought I would do. So yeah, definitely in this moment, we're seeing I'm seeing a lot of farms like get it together in a couple days and putting their products in some kind of pre-order online system, which is, is pretty crazy. And I think, um, yeah, just back to that point about the adaptability and, um, you know, this is a, this is a lot for farms to be taking on when like you were saying, it's not our normal job. It's definitely not our normal job to be, to be spending all that time online. Yeah. Yeah. And is the your question about the c s a model um changing i'm i feel like people are um less in, maybe they're less interested in the customizable aspect the the greatest to me the greatest features about harvey um, might not be why someone is joining my farm in this time, but what's interesting is that That maybe matters less to me because from the farmer's perspective, Harvey has become a tool on our farm to make us more efficient in our systems. So regardless of if the member is joining us to use Harvey, we're just better growers because we're focusing on growing crops that have a better return, whether it's in popularity or in actual um, economic standpoint. So like That's what's been an interesting balance is the customer loves the customizable part of a share, but we as the farm also love it because you know what, we don't have to, that one crop, celery root that we grew so much of, um, has a lot of labor. It's in the field all season long. You know what? Half of the members don't want it. (laughs) So we probably (laughs) could grow less of it, save a little bit of money on labor, grow more of a different crop that we may have a better margin on, um, And make members more happy because they got more of broccoli, which they wanted anyways. So it's interesting. Like, I think it's a great question to ask. And I I think people are first and foremost just trying to secure their food, whatever it is, whether it's a box of kale or a customized box of vegetables. I think they're just really seeing that the shorter that path is that your food traveled, the less complications there are the last hurdles there are, and even in a food safety perspective. Like this, this, you know, COVID-19 is not a food safety problem. It's a health safety problem, but um, the, the, the light that it's shining on food safety and the path of our food I think is really interesting. So that to me is, um, I think, another reason why people are just, they feel safer. They just feel better about buying from a local farm and knowing that there's one step from point A to point B.
2: It's such an interesting um, arc from, that, I mean, it almost sounds like there are two information stories happening right now with Harvey. Um, One being just sort of over time, the time that you've been on the platform, you've been able to have that super valuable ingredient, which is data. And data is something that the digital world is very, very good at. And having that, those data points of what people want and what they're interested in um, is so valuable to have in real time. And then for a farm that's trying to project out, you know, what your growing season is going to be, you know, that's maybe, you know, things that you didn't have before. Although I think of um, the Farmer's Almanac as being like one of the original like big data things, even though it's old and it's a book. Um, but farms have so much data Um, and so many data points on them as well. But you have that sort of pre-virus arc of information about engaging with consumers and sales and business and how things work. And then now is there sort of like a secondary um, arc of information, which is specific to the pandemic, maybe, Simon? Are you tracking things differently, or is it all one bucket of data that is still processed the same way?
3: Yeah, it's 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 still really the same way. I mean, we we've just been trying to keep up with demand <laughs> in this in this <laughs> pandemic. It's been like a wave of of demand that we're just trying to not have break on our heads. So yeah, we we've really grown a lot. I think we've hired we probably hired six people in the last month. You know, and that's we only had a team of ten before this. So that's a pretty big growth for us. And um, well, back and, and back to Robin's point, I think one one thing that's really interesting that. I'd be interested in hearing her point of view on this, but I think the question that I'm asking and that I've heard a lot of farmers and, and people in the local food industry asking is like, okay, yeah, right now <laughs> everyone is really interested, but what happens in six months or 12 months or two years? Is is this demand going to still be here? Is it going to go down a little bit? You know, like, and that's one thing I'm talking to farmers about too, because you know i think right now you could put like a google form up on on the web and people are going to order it sort of like robin said but long term bigger companies are going to come into this space and the the technology and the customer friendliness and the retention is going to become important again uh i mean maybe right now it it's not uh you know the customized share isn't the reason they're signing up for park ridge organics um so yeah i'm, I'm thinking about like what's 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 the long term of this too
2: it's uh, I, I would say, so hard to, I, I, you know, so many things about this are unknowns. You know, you could you could factor in a percentage of people who will stay, just because they have changed their buying habits and they've changed their eating habits, and those are going to be lasting. Sort of on the normal growth curve of when technology comes in and people change their habits. I mean, I think delivery services, Amazon. All those types of things, you know, Fresh Direct, you know, even the the meal kit things have changed the way consumers are doing their shopping and acquiring their food over time. So there's probably a percentage of people who will continue along this path because it's been a, a shift in behavior that was coming anyway. There probably will be a percentage of people who will continue on this path because the pandemic has created a shift in their behavior that they may not want to change and go back out into the world. But the other thing that I think that is still unknown um, in in a short-term and long-term sense, when we talk about the restaurant industry and the food industry, you know, so many uh farms were providing products to restaurants and hotels and food companies. If those businesses, you know, there there are staggering numbers in the media from different restaurant and hospitality groups saying that 75% of restaurants may not make it back after the pandemic because of economics. If 75% of the market for farm produce is gone, you know, then that's, that's something that has a tremendous impact. Or if, you know, the restaurants that do come back, I think I saw one state in reopening, they were going to have restaurants open at 25% capacity there's a whole, you know, infrastructure of all these different things that are going to impact you know where the farms are selling but then also people's accessibility. I mean, I think Robin's point earlier of maybe the interest in the CSAs kind of trending downward because accessibility for organic produce had trended upward everywhere. If those opportunities trend down again, does that trend back up? the CSA or the farm direct.
4: I know it is such a, um, I guess in this time when everything feels so out of our control and farming in general is a very uncontrolled environment. (laughs) Um, And it's, it's funny because I feel like farm farmers in general are adaptable. If you weren't adaptable, you wouldn't be farming um, you know, between weather and weather, weather, just weather alone is such a huge, um, unknown factor on a farm that there's so much uncontrollable, um, you know, it's just part of what we're doing all the time. So this pandemic is also on top of that. It's a layer on top of, um, all the other issues on a farm that we just deal with every year. And so, to 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 speak to Jennifer's point about the will they will people stick with us? You know, I think this is coming back to each individual business. So our branding, our marketing, our communication with our members this season could be and probably needs to be at its best. Not that it wouldn't be, but I just feel like once people experience our share system or what a CSA is. It's really a great way of eating, so I think it's the hardest thing to get people on board to try it because it seems it's such an unchartered territory. You're going to pay up front for the whole season of vegetables. That's crazy. We don't give, we don't pay the grocery store up front for the whole year. You know, this is just not something people, some people, are very comfortable with. But once they do it, it's it's great. And so my hope is that people are trying it. Finally, it was just that little bit of a push that they needed to go ahead and try it and that they will stick with it. And I think we will see that. Um because it seems like once people are on board, they're on board to stay. So um, more than ever I think it'll be we'll see that over time is my opinion. And it's it is scary with we have we're a little bit mixed in our balance of our revenue stream. So we do have some restaurant accounts that we rely on. Um and it's it's a time that's very uncomfortable for a lot of farms because many farms rely heavily on um, CSA and wholesale for the revenue stream so it's um and trying to be creative in how to work with those restaurants is I know farms are are exploring those options too. Well,
2: we are going to take a quick break from the show and find out who is one of our supporters and who is helping us keep the Lights on, and the mic's hot. If you didn't know, Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we rely entirely on the generosity of our members who are many listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one. Stay with us.
1: Ben's Friends is the food and beverage industry support group, offering hope, fellowship, and a path forward to professionals who struggle with substance abuse and addiction. Ben's Friends exists to provide a safe haven and an anonymous, judgment-free forum for workers in an industry that has one of the highest rates of substance abuse in the country. Their mission hasn't changed during quarantine. Ben's Friends chapters across the country are now offering online meetings.
2: You can find a chapter near you at BenFriendsHope.org. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is a website called Harvey.farm, H-A-R-V-I-E.farm. It is an online platform for farmers to connect directly to consumers for CSAs and produce, which was a great idea ten years ago and is a almost um, essential idea today. Joining us, we have Simon Huntley, who is the founder and CEO. Also on the line, we have Robin Calvey, who is the owner of Parkridge Organics, a farm in Wisconsin. If you want to find uh, Parkridge Organics, they are on Instagram at Parkridge Organics or parkridgeorganics.com. Again, Harvey is H-A-R-V-I-E dot farm you can find them on social media at Harvey Farms. It's such an interesting time right now. Um, people cooking more and more at home, people staying at home, grocery stores and other traditional food supply methods and chains maybe not functioning. At capacity or maybe not functioning at all. Uh, Simon and I had a conversation um, last week in getting ready for this show. And essentially he said that his business has accelerated five to 10 years in the past five to 10 weeks, which is kind of an amazing and very succinct way to, to categorize it. Simon, do you see... Business continuing to grow exponentially. I mean, I know it's when just before the break we talked about how do you forecast for that. Are you predicting exponential growth for the next six months?
3: <laughs> it's uh, predicting anything seems like such a fool's errand <laughs> right now, doesn't it? Um, uh, yeah, I, I have no idea how to look towards the future right now as far as my business is concerned. It, but one thing I think that's interesting. The, again, we talked about in that pre-interview we did is that these trends that are happening right now, a lot of them were already happening. Like yes. I, 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 had, I, at the end of 2019, I was already referring to 2020 as the year of home delivery for Harvey. And, uh, and we haven't talked too much about home delivery on this interview yet, but, um, you know, and, and now it's a hundred times <laughs> what I, what I could have even imagined it was going to be for home delivery. So, or, or the just the food buying and grocery buying and everything just moving online—that was already happening too. And so those are two trends that just just aren't going to change over over the next couple of years either way. Um, I don't really know how to forecast my business <laughs> right now, uh, but uh, but I, I do think the, those trends will certainly continue.
2: Well, it's certainly easy for a website to scale um, as long as you have you know the bandwidth with your servers. Robin, how do you? plan ahead? Because farming, you have to, I mean, you have a growth season and a window and you have to decide what to put into the ground to harvest later. How are you navigating your summer growing season and, and going
4: into the fall and into next year? Um, yeah, it is a little bit tricky. We, um, and it's, it's very real, so we're making decisions every day. Um, I feel like, and there's limits, like you said. So we're we have a land limit um, logistically. We can only take so many shares because we know that we can only pack that many shares and harvest for that many shares in one particular week to get everything out the door on time. Um, and it is it's it's hard. We've never sold out of our shares in April. Our distribution doesn't start till the middle of June. So to Hmm. be sold out now, it's very tempting to just, let's take more members. But truly, we don't want to overcommit and have our members have a bad experience. Um, Because again, we want to keep them around for years to come. So um, the planning is tricky. We're doing the best that we can. Um, I don't want to go too big and make some just, you know, organizational mistakes. I also, one thing I keep... I don't know when normal will ever be back. It may never be back. This new abnormal is just what's going to be new. So I'm concerned with turning on too many systems that we can't turn back off. Um, I'm trying to, with what we're increasing and the way that we're making changes, I'm trying to rationalize them with some sense that they could be around for a while. Um, I don't want to introduce something on my farm that could just, uh, fizzle away. Um, you know, home delivery is something that's been tricky for us. We, it's, and it brings us back to that point of what our farmers good at doing. Um, home delivery. I know a lot of farms doing it. And a lot of times it's the farm owner uh, leaving the farm to go spend their entire, a six, seven, eight hour day, just delivering boxes of vegetables places Sometimes they might have a delivery person, but it's probably a field crew person that they then send on a delivery truck for a day. That's a really tricky part for us, um, is that Harvey, the technology's there. We can add home delivery through the Harvey system, um, but there's the logistics of it. How do we do that? We need to hire that out. Um, What does that look like? We have over 400 members. How do you get all those boxes delivered in one day? So, the home delivery part, I'm, I'm slowly wrapping my head around it, but I don't want to jump on it right now just because of this current situation um, and then regret that I did it because it could add a whole slew of um, logistical issues to our farm at least. So yeah, as far as just growing, planting, we know that um, we, we're going to do it. I feel like whatever we grow this season, we'll have a, we'll have a buyer. Um, we normally operate that way anyways, but I feel like more than ever, uh, we are going to have an outlet for our produce. So it's farmers markets are, I know ours, I believe is going to be delayed for a few weeks. Um, what it will look like after it opens is going to be very different. And I think that's what's happening across the country is that farmers markets aren't, aren't going to have the same volume, um, that they used to have. So, uh, yeah, we're just, and and then on top of all of it, we still have to worry if, if plants are going to have drought conditions, or are we going to have a bad disease year, or are we going to have... All the
2: usual, the usual things. All the usual things, things right. So <laughs> I,
4: I am like, I'm, I'm happy with where we're at. We're planning, uh, we did a huge p- transplant sale. We usually just sell some potted herbs, but we decided to expand on that with tomatoes and peppers and zucchini and cucumbers and those sorts of plants. Um, it's going fantastic. People also want to grow their own, which is wonderful. Um, so that was something that we kind of decided within a week to put into place. Um, uh, so those, those are the kinds of things and all that's adding to our labor load. Um, even just daily disinfecting of the farm is adding to our labor time, um, which was not expected. So I'm I'm with Simon in the I've decided to stop looking at my projected cash flow, my projected numbers for the year. <laughs> Forget it. I I um and that's a hard I I'm uncomfortable operating that way. Uh the unknown um even if you feel strong that your business is, you know, we're an essential business, we're open, we're growing, um it's it's still the uncertainty is pretty it's pretty awkward. Um but it's you know, I feel lucky that we're an essential business, but there's a there's a part of that that's also puts a lot of pressure on a business owner to be making the right decisions moving forward for the for the livelihood of my employees and just in general, making sure our members get the food that they they need.
2: That is certainly uh, something essential. You know, what what essential means adds a, another layer of, you know, importance and urgency to things. Simon, if there are farmers listening who are interested in participating and coming on board on Harvey, what's the best way for them to do that? And what advice would you give to any farmer or food purveyor listening to the show now in terms of how to try and convert their business a little bit to keep their business going?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think maybe it's it's sort of a, a point that Robin made, which I think was really smart. Is, is she's thinking about the systems that she's creating now, whether it's sales channels or you know whatever it is, she's committing to continue to do this after you know the the bulk of this crisis is over. I, I don't really know. We none of us know how long this is really going to last. But um, so that's that's what I would have farmers think about. Is like what what the systems that we're putting in place now are probably things that. We're gonna have to commit to for for a while. So that would be one thing. If they they come to us, there's a for farmers page on our website, and they can request a discussion with either me or, or Julie, who works with new farms coming on the platform. And so we do, we provide a lot of consultation to the farms coming on the platform. And I'm sure um, you know Robin sometimes refers farms on to us. So um, I mean, she's probably too busy to talk to new people right now, but sometimes she does that too. So.
2: And Robin, from your point of view, you know, we have been reading so many stories in the news now about the disconnect between the farms and, you know, markets and consumers. You know, we've been reading some dire stories about a glut of farm products that can't make it into the hands of of people who need it do you have a recommendation for, you know, anybody who might be listening either on the organizational side of how to connect the two or something that, you know, consumers can do on their end to maybe um, you know, in a in a small sort of like one by one way help the situation and bridge the gap?
4: Yeah, I guess I mean finding those local farms is key and unfortunately you might have to find them because um, you know, sometimes marketing and, and social, uh, media awareness is not what farms are, are good at. So, um, a lot of them are, so don't get me wrong, but I think that there's some websites like localharvest.org and they, um, have, you know, a directory of farms that you can look for in your area. Um, and I do, I do think like finding a way to support those local farms is, is so important right now. Um, and whatever that might take. And maybe asking if you know a restaurant that's open and they're doing takeout, ask if they would consider buying from a local farm. Um, and yeah, because small farms are very viable in this time. So the larger farms, I I would guess that it's pretty tricky when you have contractual agreements with wholesalers and those wholesalers aren't able to move produce. So um, yeah, go, go small, support your little farm, find them. Cause they maybe can't find you in a time like this.
2: That is great advice on, on both fronts. I want to thank, uh, Simon Huntley, who's the founder and CEO of Harvey. You can find them on Harvey.farm or on social media at Harvey farms. Um, it's a great resource. I also want to thank Robin Calvey, um, from Parkridge organics Uh, You can find her at parkridgeorganics.com or at parkridgeorganics on social media. Um, You know, right now, food has become um, almost more important than ever. And it's great that we have technology to sort of help us connect the dots. Technology has, um, one of the really wonderful things about it has been its ability to connect us. And that is certainly the case here in connecting people to a... Great source of food has never been something that's more elemental um, than it is today. So I want to thank both of them for taking the time out of their very busy days to um, share their stories with us. If you have a story you would like to share with us at Tech Bytes, please get in touch. You can email us TechBites at heritageradionetwork.org. You can find us on social media at TechBitesHRN we are dedicated right now to producing our show remotely via Zencaster with the HRN staff and trying to bring you stories of companies and people and organizations that have really come together to um, help, help us continue our food life, stories of inspiration, and hopefully a place where you can find some information if you have a problem that you're trying to solve as well. I'm Jennifer Leutze, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. thanks for
1: listening. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the ways that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at Heritageradionetwork.org/COVID-19, from interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to first-hand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how this crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate.